Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome everybody back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. My name is Corbin Maxey. I am your host. I am back. That is right. Ladies and gentlemen, I am back. Animals to the Max is back. I know I am taking quite a hiatus this year. Honestly, it's just been crazy with tour and taking care of the animals and honestly filming full time. Like I release a new YouTube video every single day. It's just, it's been kind of hard to kind of keep up with the grind, but I'm so excited. I'm back with one of my buddies today, Forrest Galante. And I have to tell you a really funny story. I actually have planned on editing Forrest's interview on my way to South Africa because I thought, man, this is a great time to, you know, to edit stuff like on the plane. I have what, 15 hours, you know, on the plane. And I tried finding Forrest's interview and I could not find it for the life of me. I searched up and down my laptop. I looked at every single file. And for the first time in over 200 plus episodes, I thought that I had lost the full one hour plus interview with Forrest. I felt awful. And on top of that, Forrest is like a buddy of mine. So we met back in September at Animal Con in Orlando. So we became good friends. And I'm thinking, man, how do I tell Forrest like, hey man, I lost your interview. So I honestly was never going to tell him because I'm like, yeah, he's so busy. He doesn't know. He does like the Joe Rogan podcast. He doesn't care. Well, anyway, I get back from Africa, which by the way was amazing. I get back from Africa. I look on my MacBook passport and guess what I see? The Forrest Galante full interview raw. I was so excited because this was such a fun interview for me. So thank you so much for your patience. The Forrest interview is here. Now let me tell you a little bit about Forrest. He is a Zimbabwean American outdoor adventurer, TV personality, conservationist. This guy is also the host of the Wild Times podcast, a very popular animal podcast. I'm a huge fan of that podcast as well and all the guys over there. Also, he has been on numerous shows on Animal Planet, on Nat Geo. This guy does Shark Week. He's done it all. And it was so cool sitting down with Forrest, talking to him about just awesome things and talking to him about growing up in Africa and how he landed his dream job on these TV shows. Because I always want to know the backstory like, hey man, how did you do it? So we get into all of that. So make sure you stay tuned for the full episode. And as always, if you want to listen to the full episode, including the after show, the after show where it's at, where all the juicy information is, where everything's at, it's the after show. And it's only for Patreons only. So if you want to listen to that for after show along with tons other after shows head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max now before we get to the interview with Forrest, i mentioned i just got back from south africa and i have to tell you what south africa is probably one of my favorite places to be in the whole entire world my wife and i actually surprised my mom and my dad and we took them to the tent swallow safari lodge and the manuletti game reserve where we just were on safari for five days and saw a amazing animals like you know leopard cubs we saw elephants hyenas lions like wild dogs rhinos like impala giraffe zebra crocodiles hippos you name it we saw it and then we went to tent swallow at boulders beach where we saw african penguins it's funny people don't think of penguins and they think of africa but they are there and we saw the famous penguin colony we actually stayed above the penguin colony it was just it was insane i slept with the doors open which i mean i don't know if that's exactly safe to do in africa but whatever and we slept with the doors open and I could just hear the penguin colony. It was, you guys, it was like a dream come true. We love it so much. It's, this is actually was our second time in South Africa. My wife and I are planning a group trip in 2024. So if you've ever wanted to go to South Africa and go on safari, maybe you want to go see the penguins, you want to see the big five, all those magnificent game animals, and you're a little hesitant, you don't know where to start. Honestly, when you start looking at African safaris, it's overwhelming. Like just Google African safaris and a million pop-ups come up. You have 
all these different websites promising you this and that, but you don't know where to fly. And then you don't know like what's included with your trip. We wanted to create the perfect safari trip where we do all that work. We do all the hassle. We've done all the research where all you have to do is literally show up, meet us in Cape Town and we take your hand literally and we take you on safari and to the penguins at Boulder's Beach. We also are going to add on an awesome Zambia add on addition to go see the famous Victoria Falls one of the seventh wonders of the world. I'm sorry, I keep on going on. But if you want to go on safari, send me an email, maxisafari at gmail.com for full details. Only 12 spots are available and they're actually filling up pretty fast. So once again, maxisafari at gmail.com. If you want to go on an African safari, I guess I should tell you when we're going. We're going October 31st through November 9th. And then the add-on edition is going to be October 31st through November 12th, 2024. Okay, with that said, let's talk to Forrest. Forrest, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, buddy. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Um, always enjoy chatting with you. And uh, yeah, this will be cool. I'm stoked. I'm, I'm happy to dig into anything. Dude, I want to get your background. And I'm so, I mean, it looks so nice behind you in your nice office and stuff. Last time we did a podcast, I think you were in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I'm home. Just got home day before yesterday settled back into the office. It looks nice this way. That way is a train wreck. There are pelican cases, fishing rods, spear guns, a bunch of collars for tagging, a trank rifle on the couch. Like it's a mess on that side. So I'm glad you're looking this way. <laughs> it looks good. It looks good. Well, thank you so much for doing the show. And, um, you know, and I was a fan. I was actually just on your podcast because you host the Wild Times yeah. podcast, correct? Of course. Yeah. Wild times. Anybody can check it out. I, I'm not Peter, so I don't know how to do the thing, but go to YouTube, check out the wild times or anywhere you get podcasts and, mm. uh, going really well, really fun podcast. It's, uh, it's one of the top 20 fastest growing podcasts in the world, which is pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, we're having a lot of fun with it. Dude, that is so awesome. Well, I want to get to the backstory for us because, I mean, and audience, you may know Forrest, you've had multiple shows on Animal Planet, including Extinct or Alive, Mysterious Creatures with Animal Planet. You've been dubbed the Extinct Guy, which I don't know if that's, yep. <laughs> that's a good thing or a bad I thing. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, but let's just get back. Like, where did you grow up? Yeah, man. So I, uh, I I was born in the U.S., but I grew up in Zimbabwe. My family flew over here to have me when I was really little um, so that I'd have an American passport because my dad is an American. And um, and then I grew up uh, in Zimbabwe on a farm in the middle of nowhere, very rural, very remote, um, about an hour outside of the capital city of Harare. And my family ran safari businesses. And so when I wasn't in school, I was in the bush one way or another, whether it was on safari or at home on the farm. I was always running around the bush. Wow. And I was, I was funny because I was like looking you up and I thought, no way, you're from Zimbabwe? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I just, okay. And is Forrest your real name? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. I know there are other guys who I will not name who have uh, made up names as their like presenter name. But no, my mom was a hippie. My name is Forrest. My sister's name is Summer. So yeah, that's the real name. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's perfect. Like you know, for what you do. So you just had your childhood sure. in just childhood in Africa. So did your family run like a safari business where people would come on safari? Yep. Yep. That's exactly what we did. So we did two things. We uh, we owned a pretty successful farm that farmed Alstroemeria flowers and avocados, which were high-end products. Okay. And then we also uh, ran a safari business. So my mom had a safari company, and uh, that was all over Southern Africa, but primarily in Mana Pools, um, oh. which is undeniably the best safari location in the world. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we did. I, like I said, I was always in the bush. God, that sounds like a crazy upbringing, man. I mean, did you have to be careful when you were outside playing? for like lions or you know predators like leopards or anything like that uh yeah i mean definitely more so than here in california i mean california is a very tame place to be and i think the whole of the u.s is if you're from africa anyway so yeah i mean we had you know mambas and bumslungs and puff adders and a bunch of venomous snakes and then uh there were hyena and leopard on the farm no lion or anything like that um and then uh you know when we were out in the bush when we were at camp then we really had to watch out because we had lion walking through camp all the time and uh, 
uh, you know, elephants that would step over our tents and things like that. And then obviously there are always those horror stories that you hear of people, very close friends whose children were taken or who had bad run-ins and, you know, all those kind of things. So, yeah, I mean, my mom kept a pretty watchful eye over us. And uh, that's, you know, we, you, you had to watch out, but no, it's just, it's just upbringing there. You know what I mean? It's not something unusual there. It's just, it's just part of life. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the mountains of southern Idaho, so to protect me, I think my parents thought from mountain lions or cougars, they got me a, a German shepherd. And so that oh, was cool. that was like their sort of protection because I would just go and explore by myself. I mean, that's just what I did as a kid. And I never realized that's why I had sure. a dog, but it totally makes sense. But man, Africa sounds like a complete different animal, pun intended, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's a different upbringing. It's a lot more wild, a lot more free. You know, we we never like mountain lions wouldn't even register for us as far as like things that could be a problem compared to the stuff that we dealt with very regularly. But at the same time, you know, never had any bad experiences, not from wildlife. Well, shouldn't say never had a couple, but nothing too gnarly. Um, And uh, yeah, it was good. It was an idyllic childhood. It was a wonderful place to live. Big farm, beautiful, lots of open space, total and complete freedom. You know, I, I, I know people think of America as the a free country but total and complete freedom there where you can do absolutely anything you can think of um as a little kid there's no seatbelt laws there's no <laughs> uh you know curfews like you just do whatever you want and uh, that led to some accidents but it also led to an incredible childhood was zimbabwe pretty safe too because i mean i hate to say it but you tell people who've never been to africa they think of it as like the dark continent and like is it safe like are you gonna you know like how how was that yeah, it's not anymore, but when I grew up, I mean, we didn't even have locks on our doors. Our front door, wow. we went to Zanzibar when I was a little kid, and my mom uh, was, uh, she used to collect artifacts. My aunt was the main person who did it, but my mom did it as well. And so she collected two giant elephant doors from Zanzibar, which were the big, like, 14-foot-tall wooden doors that had spikes on the outside to keep the elephants from knocking the doors down. And those, that was, those were built, you know, 200 years ago. So we shipped those home. And she installed those as our front doors in Africa. So we didn't even have a latch or a lock on our front door growing up. So, um, you know, very, very safe where I grew up. Never even locked our doors or anything like that on the farm. And then um, during the political turmoil during the Robert Mugabe regime, things got uh, very different from that. We went from never having locked a door to multiple active shootouts and, uh, you know, all kinds of things. I I wrote about a lot of it in, in my book, Still Alive. Um, but yeah, no, it, uh, it definitely changed a lot from when I was little to when I was a teenager. And then you guys moved back to the States as things got pretty violent over there. Yeah. I mean, not exactly, but it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't by choice. Uh, you know, we had, uh, a war veterans come and take our farm and put guns to our heads and we got marched off of our property. And so we came, uh, we came to the U S as political refugees. Oh my God. Do you ever think about going back? To your homeland? I go back all the time. Yeah, but, yeah I go back all the time. I, I've been back, I don't know, well over a dozen times. Um, and, uh, you know, every couple of years or so, I try and go back. And it's uh, it's still an absolutely fabulous place. Definitely the best bush in Africa, the best wildlife, the nicest people, all those things. But uh, it's not the place that I grew up. There's no infrastructure left. There's no working currency anymore. Hmm. I mean, it's just, it's a disaster of a place now. But um uh, but it's still a, one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Yeah, I have not been to Zimbabwe. And I saw something on Instagram because I followed you and I followed the Wild Times podcast. And I uh, remember Patrick asked you, like, where's the best place to go on safari? And you just said, Monopools, like, hands down, the best. Oh, hands down. Hands, and, and that's the thing is my family did this for a living. We went to, you know, I've been on safari everywhere, Kenya, Tanzania, okay. Texas. 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 <laughs> I mean, Texas uh, I, is like a safari. Funny because I was thinking, I was thinking of the next thing I'd talk about were all the animals in Texas. So that just went straight into my brain. But, um, yo, I've been everywhere, you know, Kenya, Tanzania, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Botswana, South Africa, oh Mozambique, God. you name it. And nothing, nothing. It's not even like sort of close. Like nothing's even remotely close to Monopools. It's just, it's, it's in a league of its own. Really? So I've done the Monopools. My Kenyan friends get very upset when I say that because they really don't know what good wildlife is. Because if they live in Kenya, they think they know what good wildlife is. 
Yeah. Because if you Google, or even if just you know being in the industry or whatever, if you talk to people, they say the best safari experience, they're going to say East Africa, probably the Maasai Mara, or the Serengeti. Yeah, yeah and, and you're, you're, you're shaking your head. Well, it's the best if you want the in-the-box experience, which is what that offers. You know, if you want to sit in a car and be a tourist and go to Yellowstone and drive on a paved road, then it's, <laughs> then it's a great experience. But that's not what I want to do. You know, if I want to go on safari... I want to be in a tent in the bush. I want to have elephants walking through camp and lions roaring right beside me and take bush walks with a gun on my shoulder, not to hunt, but just for, you know, just to, to be safe and uh, walk with the animals and be intimate. And you can't do that in Kenya or Tanzania. I mean, I don't, don't even think it's legal in Kenya anymore. Kenya's, Kenya's gone. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's just, it's not even close. East Africa doesn't hold a candle to, to Zimbabwe. I'm going to have to put it but on. I might. I might be a little bit biased. (laughs) I'm going to have to put it on my list. I mean, I was in love with Kenya and then we just went to South Africa last year and I forced, I'm not going to dude. I fell in love with South Africa. We did the greater Kruger. So we visited the Manuleti, the Timbavati and Mm -hmm. the, uh, Klaseri and we loved it. It was my wife's first time. So like we stayed in nice luxury lodges and that's how she was like, yep. Oh man, this is Africa. But I'm with you. Like I love yeah. the tent and I love the bucket shower experience as well. But man, South Africa was pretty good too. But the, but the thing is our, like the safari camps again, Zimbabwe, there's no bucket showers. It's not the tent, what you're thinking of. You've never seen it like it. There's a full bed, full running water, but it's all a tented camp. It just gets built a week before you get there and it takes a week to build it. Yeah. Um, but like, like anybody that's been to South Africa and Zimbabwe says, Zimbabwe's just the better version of South Africa because it's all the same wildlife. Zimbabwe's just much more beautiful with a lot more of it. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to put it on my list, man. I'm going to have to do it. Does your wife like to rough it too? Yeah. I mean, we don't, you know, like we just got back from uh, three weeks in Baja living out of the camper, out of the, the we have this little taxa camper, hmm. um, the taxa cricket, which is awesome. So yeah, I mean, she's not... You know, in fact, of the two of us, she likes to camp in the traditional sense much more than I do because she grew up camping in California where camping is like, you know, you go for a hike or you pull up to a campsite and you pop up your little shitty Coleman thing and you sleep (laughs) on the ground and you make make a cup of noodle soup. Camping where I grew up is, you know, you have this incredible three room tent with a full queen bed and a full hot shower and a fireplace. And, uh, you have your tea brought to you and you, you know, camping was a different experience the way I grew up. So yeah, no, of the two of us, she's probably a little bit hardier when it comes to that stuff, believe it or not. Oh, that's so funny. No, dude, I'm going to have to put, (laughs) I'm going to have to put Zimbabwe on my list. So how, so did you know growing up, you always wanted to work with animals? Did you want to follow in your parents' footsteps in the safari business before, you know, things got a little crazy over there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I didn't know I wanted to do safaris as a young, young man. I mean, when I came to California, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to go run away back to Africa and be a safari guide like lots of my friends were. Um, but uh, no, I I always I only ever had one passion, Corbin, which was animals and wildlife. I mean, if you ask my mother, I'm a complete Cretan. Like I have no interest in music, culture, people, religion, any of the things that make human society human. I have zero, less than zero interest in it. I have a one-track mind. I'm only interested in wildlife, every form of it, pursuing it, capturing it, filming it, caring for it. I've got five hatchling turtles right here. I mean, you name it. If it's to do with, it's the only thing I've ever been interested in. But how, I mean, but like to support yourself though, because like, for instance, when I went to Kenya, I I thought, you know what? This is it. I want to drop everything. I want to move and become a (laughs) safari guide. And then I remember like, I I looked into how much they made for, you know, like per week. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's a pretty rough um, way to live for some people. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, things are much cheaper over there for one. And for two, you know, we... I don't make a lot of money now, you know, Mm. like I don't make a lot of money now. I'm more successful than I would be as a safari guide, but I'm not exactly making millions and millions of dollars every year. Mm. And I don't care because it doesn't feel like I work. You know, this feels more like work. And I I don't mean that with any of them than when I'm spending 80% of my time running around outside. So it never feels like I'm working very hard, even though I'm sick, I dysentery, I get bitten by stuff, stung by stuff, heat stroke, you name it. It doesn't feel like work. That's what I love doing. So the work to me, and I didn't mean because I'm talking to you, the work to me is when I'm inside working on a computer 
which I couldn't have done no matter what. I just don't think it's something that I'm capable of. Yeah, yeah. So you, okay, so you don't want to be a safari guide. So what So what line of work? I mean, because how did you end up, I mean, like in television, like tell us your story. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, sure. So, I mean, I, like I said, I just knew I wanted to work with wildlife. Okay. I didn't know what that meant or animals, not even wildlife. And so, yeah, story is a long one. Um, yeah, I definitely, you know, I wrote it all out in that book that I wrote. But um, I, uh, I knew I wanted to work with wildlife. I came to California. I was very displaced living here. I really didn't fit in. Mm. Um, you know, it just was not the, not, not being 14 years old, coming from a country where literally in school, when you had a problem, the teachers told you to go outside and fight it out and then come back inside when you guys had sorted out the problem to, you know, a country, a place like California mm. where everybody's so, so soft and, you know, just a whole different childhood. And I was a pretty rough, pretty feral kid. So coming here, I didn't fit in. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of friends or whatever. And so I found wildlife through the ocean. I started diving and spearfishing and doing all this stuff. And being in California, knowing that all I wanted to do is work with animals, I thought the best way to do that was to do it as a, as a biologist because that was sort of the best opportunity you had here in the U.S. So I, I went to a good university, went to UC Santa Barbara, the best biological program in the country. I got a degree in biology, a special emphasis in marine biology, another special emphasis in herpetology. And I was like on my way. And then I came out of that thinking like, all right, you know, like every cocky undergrad does. They're like, oh, it'll be a year or two until I'm absolutely crushing it as a biologist and writing papers and making millions of dollars. Of course, that didn't happen. So um Traveled for a while and all that, and then uh, got a job as a biologist, and uh, still didn't feel like I was making an impact. So uh, where I, I realized like, where where were you as a biologist? Mostly right out there, which you can't see, but out my window is the California Channel Islands. Um, oh, okay. And so I was work. Yeah, I was working all over. I was working on the Carrizo Plain and uh, Sedgwick Preserve, Chimeneas Ranch, and all these places. But I did most of my work out here at the California Channel Islands, and we did a lot of habitat restoration we did riparian habitat restoration and base of species removal uh all kinds of stuff and um i i was thriving i was doing very well at that so well that they pushed me up from being a field tech to a more senior position which meant i had to spend time indoors in the office and i, I remember the day i went to my boss morgan i said morgan i, I just want to go back to being a tech and he's like well the techs make 12 dollars an hour he's like you're you're in like a pretty good position like you're in the office you can write grants and i was like i I don't care. Like I don't. I don't want to be in the office. I'd much rather be out on the islands. And uh, he mm. was like, "Well, if that's what you want." So I took. I took a demotion myself to spend more time outside. And uh, yeah. And anyway, I was working as a biologist. You know, I, I did write some papers and stuff, but it was all pretty nominal, and I didn't feel like I was making any difference or impact to the field of wildlife or conservation. And I'd seen wildlife plummet and decline in my in my short years of life as a young man and just really wanted to help and i'll tell you when it all happened uh i don't mean to do all the talking but i'll tell you when it all happened i um i just got home from the channel islands i was covered head to toe in dirt we'd been counting invasive argentine ants uh in the hot summer sun in a hazmat suit covered oh. in chemicals like crazy job uh i'd been on the islands for three months came down flopped down on the couch exhausted and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, flipping through the channels and goes, whoa, look at this stupid thing. And it's a show called Naked and Afraid, which you may or may not know, but I did that show. Um, yeah. And no. uh, I watched it. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I know I've been dying to ask you because I just found out like literally a half an hour before that you're on the show. So just continue. I've been dying to ask you about yeah, this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sure. We'll circle back. I'll try to I'll try get the synopsis version. That's fine. But, uh, yeah. So I... My wife goes, I've seen you do like half the stuff that these guys are doing, but like way better than they do it. And I watched for 10 minutes and I was like, yeah, these people are useless at this. And so I sent in a super cocky, arrogant email to the production company when the credits roll at the end of the screen. Yep. It says, you know, made by whatever. And uh, I was like, hey, just so you know, like your quote unquote world's greatest survivalists are pretty useless. Like they should be doing this, this and this. Long story made short, 10 days later, I was on a plane to Panama and I did Naked and Afraid, and I mean, we can get into as much of it as you like, but I came home from that, went back to being a biologist, and funny story, about a year prior, year and a half prior, I published a paper. That paper got 400 reads, 
400 reads by like-minded scientists who already knew the subject matter. Okay, made no difference. Then, when my Naked and Afraid TV show came out, <laughs> 4 million people saw me jiggling my junk around the jungle naked. And I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of, that's a lot of reach. And so that was the time I made the decision to go into TV. And for three and a half years, uh, we lived on my wife's part-time teacher salary while I created and crafted TV shows around wildlife. You know, everything like really focused on wildlife and conservation programming until I sold the pilot of Extinct or Alive, which took three and a half years from when I made that decision that that was what I was going to do. Okay, let's back up. Naked and afraid. I mean, <laughs> were you always comfortable being naked? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't... Really? It doesn't, it doesn't, in fact, if you ask my friends, they'd say I'm too comfortable. Like, look, I, I grew up playing rugby. I was in a fraternity. Like, I have no problem being naked. It doesn't doesn't bother me the, li the slightest. So, yeah, I mean, that... I, I didn't really factor that into the equation. I just looked at Naked and Afraid and was like, that would be like a vacation compared to what I do for work. And uh, and so I went and did it. Really? So you had no, dude, <laughs> I, so you had no apprehension. Like, were you like thinking like, oh man, what are my old professors or like, what are they going to think? What are my colleagues going to think? You didn't think about that at all? No, nah, not one bit. Didn't even cross my mind. Uh, Forrest, what if it's extremely cold in Panama? You have a cold night, you're feeling self-conscious, you don't care at all. You're just letting everything hang loose. I mean, if it's very cold, it's probably not hanging very loose, but, uh, yeah, no. It was, uh... <laughs> That's what I just, I'm just, okay, like, uh, go ahead. Doesn't bother me, bro. Yeah, Corvin, not one bit. I don't care. I mean, I'll change in front of anybody. I'm not bashful. You know, they say if you got it, flaunt it. And I don't know if I've got it or not, but I'm happy to flaunt it. So, um, you know, I just, I'm not bothered. <laughs> really? And were you with, I've never seen, and no offense, I've never seen Naked and Afraid. But, I mean, and so you're no, you're, you're with other contestants and then you're just basically competing. And you, you won, correct? Is that what I read? You won? Yeah, yeah, sort of. You can't really win Naked and Afraid. But uh, I think now I'm not anymore. But at the time, I was the highest rated survivalist that the show had ever seen, the highest rated one in the history of the show. And um, yeah, I mean, it was me and a partner who you, you meet for the first time naked out there. And I I tried to do a little naked dance icebreaker. It didn't go very well. But um, yeah, it, uh, it was. Yeah, it didn't bother me, to be honest. I found it fun. I found it really, really easy. Which, you know, if you watch the show, you see all these big, tough, buff guys, like, bursting into tears and crying about how miserable they are and blah, blah, blah. I thought it was a, a great vacation and, um, and went home happy and healthy, and it didn't bother me one bit. So, you know, each to their own. But, uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was a fun thing to do. Was your wife nervous around you being naked around another woman? Was It was another woman, right, that you're with, afraid with? Oh, it wasn't. It's a a woman yeah okay no no it is it is yeah no but i'm laughing because no i don't i i don't know you're 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 looking at it from the perspective of some sort of sexualization but yeah i don't know if you've ever spent a day with anybody out in the bush without showering but there's nothing attractive about that person yeah with clothes on after a day without showering so yeah no to be honest by hour two you completely forget that you're naked and you're just focused on the uh survival element and you know you've seen it all pretty quick and you're like yeah that's what's on the menu i'm not hungry you know and you just sort of move on <laughs> wow so you know reality <laughs> reality shows are often you know criticized for being fake they're criticized for being scripted what was your experience like on naked and afraid my, my understanding and this might get back to some people who get very angry but my understanding is that nowadays it's a lot more produced Okay. Um, however, when I did it, it was so real and raw, so strict. I mean, you weren't even allowed to talk to the camera guys. They were supposed to be fly on the wall, you know, like they didn't exist. They weren't allowed to like eat breakfast before coming to film you because in case you, they smelled like bacon or whatever. Yeah. And so, no, it was very, it was everything you saw was what you got in that show. At least when I did it, it was a hundred percent real and organic. And I'll tell you what, I'm very glad that it did go that way because, like I said, it took me three years from then until I got my TV show. But my understanding of TV, having only done that one thing ever, was like, oh, this is very real. Like, I, I didn't even know about the fact that, like, reality shows were all bullshit until much later in my career. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I thought that that's just how TV went. And if you watch Extinct or Alive or Mysterious Creatures, 
you can see there's no acting. There's no, it's all just like fly by the seat of your pants. You know, we got a job to do. Let's go do it. And so, yeah, it, it taught, it taught me a little bit of like how the filmmaking process works. And then I figured the rest out along the way. How many camera guys are with you on Naked and Afraid? Uh, man, that was over 10 years ago. Uh, three, okay. four. I don't remember to be honest. Yeah. I think there's like one on each person at all times. So, you know, there would have been two and then there was another group of people surviving near to us. So they would have had two, but I, I'm not, I don't even remember to be honest. Okay. So you're on this show. You're thinking, you know, one, this could be a great vacation Two, I mean, are you thinking at it at a point, like maybe I'll get exposure and attract discovery for my own show. Was that always in yep. the back of your mind? Oh, it wasn't not even not even a little bit. I, I, you know, I, I had no idea how any of that worked. It's funny because my partner, who was really, really bad at survival, and it shows, unfortunately, <laughs> and she got very criticized for it. Um, that was her whole like plan. She was like, "Oh, I'm going to go on this show," and she's a pretty girl, and she's like, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gorgeous," and I do all these outdoorsy things, and I'm going to get a Discovery Channel show. And I, it literally, she was telling me all this stuff, and I was like, "Well, wait, but did you?" She's like telling me all this stuff on like night number one or two, and I'm like. Okay, that's cool, but like, did you study up on the botany of Panama so that you know what plants to look for, or you know, how's your like fire making skills? And she's like, oh yeah, I didn't really look into that stuff. And I was just like, whoa, you're an idiot. But um, yeah, no, I I never considered any of that. I mean, so much so that when the sh you know when the show came out seven eight months later, I was just back to work on the islands. I wasn't I didn't even see my own premiere. You know, I was back to work living in a research station. Um, but when I got when I got the, the information on the numbers and things, that was when the little light bulb went off in my head that I was like, hey, this is what I need to do. Like not dance around the jungle naked, bopping things on the head and eating them, but, um, you know, communicating wildlife science and conservation through media. And that was that was the moment that I, I that little light bulb went off. And that very day I called that same boss who I asked for the demotion and said, hey, Morgan, I, I quit, man. I'm going to go figure out how to do this on on uh on tv and that was the start of it all wow so but when you go back to work from naked and, and you know naked and afraid do you go to your colleagues and say hey guys i just i just want to tell you something before it comes out i did this show like do you explain yourself or is it just oh yeah i told everybody i was like oh have you guys seen naked and afraid i just did that it was super fun blah 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 ha ha it's coming out in december or whatever but it wasn't i mean yeah i didn't think of it as anything weird i was just like oh that's funny yeah, that is so, yeah, that's awesome, man. So you decided to quit your job. You're living off your wife's teacher salary. I mean, how, I mean, how are you like managing things? Because from my experience, and I've been working in television for a, for a very, very long time. I mean, just from my earlier credits and it just, it's a very hard industry to break into. And how yeah. did like, like, where did you start? How did you make ends meet? I mean, you said it took you three years to get you know, extinct or alive on animal planet. Like what was that process like? Yeah. Well, um, it's funny. I'm trying to sum up a lot of years in a few moments here, but, um, so I got done with naked and afraid and like everybody that gets done with that show, you get your 15 seconds of fame, right? Where mm -hmm. every single, um, every single like local small scale, like the Santa Barbara news press and places like that, <laughs> give you a call and be like, Hey, do you want to talk about your time on naked and afraid? And, uh, I was like, Oh, no, thanks. But if you want, I'll tell you about, yeah. But you know, because I just wasn't interested in it. Like naked and afraid was a fun thing for me to do, but it didn't, it didn't have it. I had no, I, to this day, I have no interest in it. I've never watched, I, I watched a few other episodes after mine and I don't think I've seen it in 10 years or eight years or whatever it's been. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, so I, I get this 15 seconds of fame, these like local small scale reporters start calling me and they're like, Hey, tell us about naked afraid tell us surviving about surviving in the jungle. And I'm like, uh, no, thanks. I'm not really interested in talking about that. But if you'd like, I'll tell you about how there's hammerheads in the Northern Channel Islands for the first time due to the El Nino. I'll show you photos of the largest lobster ever caught in the state of California that I caught last year. You know, all these miraculous wildlife things. And most of them were like, uh, no thanks, click, and hung oh. up the phone. But a couple of them were like, yeah, okay, let's talk about that. And so I, I, I did a couple of these stories, and two of them went totally viral, like Daily Mail and all over the place. 
like the largest lobster ever caught and man gets chased by hammerhead shark where hammerheads don't exist and some of these things that I just filmed on my phone or my GoPro, but it was so interesting because they were animal anomalies. And, um, and those went totally viral. So now I had Naked and Afraid and I had this little bit of like virality through these like Daily Mail articles and things like that. And so um, I got called up by some producers and agents and things and they were like, hey, uh, you know, you might be a good, this was back in the days, you know, going on 10 years now, back in the days where TV was still like a real industry, unlike today. And, uh, <laughs> you know, agents would call you up and be like, hey, do you want to host a show, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Sure, tell me more. And they sent me a bunch of pitch decks, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like, a, you know, it's just a it's just a document with pretty pictures that says what it is. And they were fucking awful, Corbin. You know, they were <laughs> terrible. Like, so dumb. Some of them were like animal growling dating shows. And Dude! One cold mate. Oh, yeah. Forrest, bad. I think I auditioned for that. Is it like this? There you go. I Oh, it was horrible. But I thought, man, I really need the job, so I hope I get it. I never got it. Thank God. Oh, my God. It, okay. Wow. They asked me to host that. They asked me to host another one called Man vs. Bear, which did come out. And I was like, no, that's animal extortion. That's fucking stupid. And uh, so I turned them all down. And after looking at three or four of these TV pitch deck things, I was just like, this is not that hard. Like, I, these people are not that smart. And yeah. so I wrote my own pitch deck, which, uh, you know, I, I, met a, I met a producer. We partnered. His name was Patrick DeLuca, who you met on mm -hmm. the podcast. And Pat and I sat down in his old house two houses ago. I've known him so long. We sat down in his living room, and, uh, and we created uh, a show called Hunting Lazarus, which is, if you translated it, is, means looking for lost species, which turned into Extinct or Alive. And so, uh, you know, wrote up a pitch deck myself, uh, came up with all the ideas, Patrick and I, and then went to every single production company in L.A., at the beginning, feeling quite high and mighty because I'd, I'd crushed naked and afraid. I had these news stories about myself, these like these like viral articles. And I was like, oh, yeah, like they're definitely. And, and I'd had like agents and stuff reach out to me. So I was like, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to want to talk to me. I got a no from every single production company in Los Angeles. Literally not. I don't think there was a stone left unturned. I must have gone to 200 production companies. Oh. And what I would do, we were so poor because we were living on my wife's part time teacher salary. I'd save money for like two weeks, enough to get a couple tanks of gas to drive down to L.A. to sleep in my car and knock on the doors of production companies and oh. pitch my idea wow. one after the next. And I just got no, 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 no. Well, after approximately 200 no's, I was like, well, where else are there production companies? New York. So I saved up money for months, flew to New York, and the second production company that I walked in the door, the guy, the guy there, his name's Eric goes here's my pitch and goes yeah i like it let's give it a try and i was like oh my god okay thank you and then he, he like you know shooed me out of his office basically thinking nothing would ever come of it and uh and yeah we turned that into a better pitch deck and a better reel and blah 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 and then eventually sold it to animal planet dude congratulations you've accomplished what <laughs> uh a lot of people in this industry you know wildlife host industry whatever content creators what they want to achieve is getting you know, a show, I mean, Animal Planet, back in the day, I mean, you know, of course, made famous, you know, f you know, by Steve Irwin is like the cream of sure. the crop. I mean, that's like where you want yeah. your animal show. And that's oh, yeah. it huge. It was the number one choice, always, like, if it were going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever think about giving up, Forrest? Um... I thought about it, but it's just not really like in my nature. And I know that sounds very cocky or whatever, but I, I considered, you know, two, two plus years in my wife's a part time teacher making absolutely no money. And I'm, you know, I'm scrimping and saving and spending all my time on a computer and making phone calls and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, a big part of me wanted to just be like, ah, fuck this. I'll go back to being a biologist. But that nagging thing in the back of my head that just kept saying, like, you're never going to make a big enough difference as a biologist. And by the way, that's not to discredit or disparage mm. biologists. Some of them do phenomenal things. I just didn't feel like I was on track to do have a big enough impact as an academic, as a biologist. And so, yeah, I just I knew deep down that this was the way that I could make a big impact, you know, and and without sounding too arrogant, I, I really have like I have tens of thousands of kids 
reaching out to me every single month. Oh, you know, I'm going to school to be a biologist. Like, what your work is inspired. You know, you've got a big following. Like, how many kids reach out to you and go, hey, Corbin, thanks to your YouTube, I want to start an animal rescue when I get bigger. Yeah, I mean, so many letters and, yeah, I mean, you know, but but back on to you. The spotlight's on you, my man. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I was just, I mean, that's amazing. And, I'm, you know, I feel like people don't see the climb or they, they, they don't see the journey. Because, Forrest, when you Google yourself, which I don't know, have you Googled yourself? Not in a long time. I probably should one of these days. I might oh. do it right now. Oh, man. There's a bunch. Well, go ahead. No, it's just there's a bunch of stuff that comes up, and you could just look at that and be like, oh, my goodness, look at this lucky guy able to travel the world. <laughs> He's blessed. Sure. This guy was fortunate. You know, didn't have to. You just don't see that journey. I'm so happy you, you went into that for listeners because there's a huge backstory to for, like, what you're doing now, you know, how you got to where you are. Oh yeah, man. No, it's uh, it's definitely a long journey. That's for sure. Nothing was quick about it. Um, it's uh, it's been, <laughs> I can... it's been a real headache. So yeah, but you know, and it's not like it's over now. It's there's a there's a long way to go. I can see your eyes going. Did you Google yourself? Yeah, I haven't done this in a long time. It's interesting. There's negative stuff I didn't even know existed. Oh, dude, um, don't but, look at uh, that. Oh my god, that's why I don't Google myself oh, no, at all. I, dude, oh, shoot. I don't. I don't read. I don't read. I, I don't know. Who has time for this? Who has time to go and look at all this stuff? It's insane. No, the the majority of the stuff is honestly 100% positive. And I just want to talk a little bit because I looked up some things online. You were quoted, you've been bitten by a venomous snake. <laughs> so can we go into that? Oh yeah, sure. I didn't know. I thought you were gonna keep going. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah I'll, I'll continue to go. <laughs> I'm just, no, I just whatever you like, man. Yeah, a venomous snake, man. What type of snake bit you? Uh, rhombic. Oops, sorry. I just bumped my microphone. A rhombic night adder when I was a kid, which um, not super venomous, but enough to enough to do damage as a child, you know, to kill you when you're little. So yeah, I got got put into a put into a mild coma from one of those for a couple days. Um, uh catching snakes down by our dam where I, where I grew up. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, you've been in a plane crash. Two now, actually What? three, but two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, growing up in the bush, we, to get into the bush, you take planes. So, uh, safari planes. My mom was a bush pilot and, uh, yeah, been in a couple crashes now. One, one pretty bad one where the plane got struck by lightning. All the instruments went out came down for a landing and a termite mound took out the wheel and the plane rolled this way and then that or spun that way and then rolled that way so it got pretty pretty trash but uh yeah aside from a few broken ribs we all walked out of that one um and uh yeah yeah not too bad really did you think you were gonna die oh yeah (laughs) what's in your mind uh, well, when I was little, I had like pretty significant acrophobia. I was definitely scared of heights. Like I used to like hate standing on ladders and stuff when I was little. Mm. The, that plane crash, I was like probably 12 years old, so I wasn't super young. But uh, it, um, I remember being pretty scared. I remember going down to land, and my mom was like, you know, tuck your tuck your head down and blah blah blah, and uh, you know, hope for the best. And I remember being pretty scared, but I don't know. I, what was going through my mind was just living in the moment, you know, just get through it kind of thing. Whew. Okay. You've been mauled by a, <laughs> you've been mauled by a lion. That's by far the least interesting story, but I will gladly tell it. Um, yeah. So that one, uh, our neighbors in Zimbabwe had a game farm, um, where they would, uh, you know, they, they raised animals, not a game farm, like for hunting. They just uh, had a preserve. And uh, they had a couple lion cubs that had been orphaned, and so went to uh, went to play with the lion cubs. And they were like teenagers; they weren't tiny baby cubs. And I was playing with one with a pillowcase full of feathers, you know. And they jump on the pillowcase, and it's super fun. And the lion sort of lost interest, and I was like, "All right, it's over." And this was me being an idiot. I flipped the pillowcase over my back to walk out of the enclosure, oh. and uh, that that triggered the lion. So he jumped up and went like that, and just went through the pillowcase, and. Uh, yeah, that, that caused a couple stitches. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. And charged by a hippo. You know, I've been charged by a hippo. That's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah, a few times. I had a canoe flipped once on the Zambezi. Oh, and my then, God. Uh, the, 
the first time I took my wife to Africa to show her where I grew up, <clears throat> we came up over a rise and there was a hippo wallowing in a pan and he couldn't submerge himself. So he came charging right at, on the game trail that we were on. And I shoved my wife behind a termite mound and dove the other way. But uh, I felt his breath on me. It was that close. So, but nothing happened, thankfully. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, you know, growing up in the bush, is that the one animal you're more, most terrified of? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, as far as, as far as the big, I mean, animal I'm most terrified of is humans for sure. But, uh, mm. you know, you take, take them out of the equation and take things like mosquitoes out of the equation. And it's definitely, it's definitely as far as large animals go, the Cape Buffalo and the hippo, those two side by side, give me lions, give me leopards, rhino, anything, but Cape Buffalo and hippo are just, uh, you just can't trust them ever. They're just problematic no matter what. What's worse, a buffalo or a hippo? It really depends on the situation, but I would say the the likelihood from a pro man, it's it's so situational. But probably the probably pro I've never said this before because I always say I have a thing with it when it comes to hippos. But probably the buffalo is worse because you can be walking through the bush. Oh. You know if there's a hippo around. You you know where the hippo are. You know they're in the river or near to the river or by the water. Cape buffalo, you can just be walking through the bush and be upwind of a cape. And if it if it gets a scent of you, it'll just come charging full speed towards you without any warning whatsoever. So honestly, of the two, the cape buffalo are probably slightly more dangerous, even though they kill less people. Yeah, well, I remember my first time in Africa, they were like, because we were hiking in Kenya, um, in Hell's Gate National yeah. Park, and they were like, uh -huh. they said, beautiful. you know, beautiful, right? But they they said, look for trees to climb up in case we see a buffalo, and I thought they were kidding. Yeah. No, they're not kidding. <laughs> like, that's literally what you would do, huh? Try to find a tree? Try to duck? Oh, yeah, dude. We've had so many different run-ins and things. I mean... I don't think I ever got treated by a buffalo. I got treated by a warthog once. Um, but, you know, we just, yeah. There's a funny story. I don't think I've ever told this story, or maybe I told it on the Wild Times once. But um, uh, we had a, some clients out from uh, American clients, actually, and we're on a walking safari. I was still little. I was just I was just hanging out, you know, just following along, whatever. But um, the guy goes, like, it's like, I got I to gotta take a shit. I got to take a shit. And finally, my mom, who's the guide, is like, all right, well, like, we'll stop here and, like, go behind that tree and go go have a poop. And um, the guy goes behind the tree, whatever. And, like, 10 seconds later, you just hear bloody screaming and you turn over. And uh, this guy has his pants around his ankles and a buffalo has come and scooped him up. And he's riding literally perfectly between the buffalo's horns. And it's trying to gore him. Stops at the edge of the cliff flings the guy into the Zambi I didn't see any of this. This was all told to me, by the way. Flings the guy into the Zambezi River, which you can literally line both sides of the Zambezi head to tail with Nile crocodiles. There's so many. Oh, my God. Splashes in the water, swims to shore, completely unscathed. Not a bruise, not a scratch, nothing. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a ridiculous story that went around the camp circle for a while. <laughs> God, that just sounds like something out of a movie. That's just, well... Well, doesn't it though yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a chris farley movie <laughs> seriously so you're known as the extinct guy i want to talk to you about a few animals i want to talk to you i just it's just i've always been interested with the thylacine sure and you are determined uh, yeah, what do you want to know i want to know are you do you think that this animal is still alive you know, I used to, I used to, um, and okay. I, I probably deep down, I still do, but I've been sort of disconnected from it for a little while now, which is kind of sad. My okay. last expedition to, to look for thylacine was 2000 and it was pre COVID. So it must've been 2020 now. Okay. And, um, you know, I do believe I, I have some crazy, crazy evidence that nobody else has, um, that's sitting in folders and things. And my team has the information and it's sensitive when you're dealing with animals like this because you can get yahoos going out looking for stuff and either hurting animals or hurting themselves. But um, long story made short, I think that if there are still thylacine, they're in western Papua, not Papua New Guinea. They're in western Papua, an incredibly remote region that nobody could get to. I've, I've put it all together. It'd be a couple million bucks to do the survey correctly. It's big money. 
And, uh-huh. um, you know, thylacine were known to have been in, in Papua and Western Papua uh, up until 4,000 years ago. So I don't think they're in, I don't think they're in Tasmania. I certainly don't think they're on the Australian mainland. And uh, I think if they're anywhere, they're still up in Papua. And, and a thylacine, for listeners wondering, a thyla who? What is that? Can you explain what that is? Oh, yeah, sure. A thylacine is, uh, it's the, the, well, not extant, but it is a large marsupial carnivore that has stripes down its back. Um, a marsupial carnivore is pretty unique. I mean, imagine a, imagine a kangaroo mixed with a tiger. And, um, yeah, incredible jaw morphology, able to open its mouth super mm. wide. Um, you know, it was, uh, they, they persisted until quite recently in Tasmania till basically Western settlement in which time they were eating a lot of the, the farmer's sheeps and things like that. And so they were driven towards extinction, but just an incredibly beautiful animal, this like strong, rigid tail, sort of the body of a wolf stripes of a tiger, uh, you know, that has a kangaroo as an ancestor. I mean, it's quite an incredible creature. Yeah. The Tasmanian tiger. Yep. Which is what a lot more people know it as. And I, I'm thinking of that 19, what is it, that 1920s or 1930s black and white footage they have of the one in the zoo pacing. I think it opens his mouth really wide. I mean, that's what some of the last footage we have of one living. That's the last known footage. Um, that, that animal's name was Benjamin. It died in the zoo in Hobart. I'm blanking on the year right now. But yeah, that was like right around when, you know, film cameras became a thing. And so they're... There's only two or three pieces of footage of a thylacine in existence because that was when they died out. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. What about Bigfoot, Forrest, for the record? It's not It's not, It's not. not for me, Corbin. You know, and I'm not saying it's not for me to not talk about. I just. Oh, I thought no you meant not to talk about. I was like, oh, man. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> oh, I'll talk about anything. I'm an open book, bro. I'll talk about anything you'd like. But, uh, hmm. no, it's just not for me. I just, I have no interest in it. I've never studied it. I don't. I'm a biologist. I like things that are grounded in science, you know, and, and real wildlife. I, I'm not interested mm-hmm. in Bigfoot. And, you know, there's never been a case of native primates in, in the North American continent. I don't believe there would be one super large bipedal primate that lives here that nobody's seen. So for me, it's, it's just not a thing. I have to send you my uh, podcast with the Sasquatch scientist. I'm serious. I'm going to send it sure. to you. It's good. Yeah, he, this guy is certain about Bigfoot. It's just interesting. Um, let's talk about the Galapagos tortoise that you and your buddy actually discovered recently in 2017. The Fernandina. Fern- uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ch- fantasticus, the Fernandina Island tortoise. Yep. Um, yeah, during Extinct or Alive, uh, we went to Fernandina Island, which is an incredible remote island in the Galapagos. And, uh, you know, for 110 years, they hadn't found a tortoise on that island. They certainly hadn't found that species. Um, a couple people had tried, but they had failed. Uh, the Galapagos National Parks and um, Galapagos Conservancy had been unsuccessful. And, uh, yeah, we funded and launched an expedition in partnership with those two organizations. And, uh, yeah, it only took a couple days. Third day, I think it was. Third day, we found the tortoise hanging out under a bush. And uh, literally the rarest animal in the world. Only one known specimen in existence. Fern, the one that we found, the literal animal that I picked up. Um, yeah, we found we found her there. It was a pretty big deal. <laughs> and, it, and she's there. I mean, she's pretty protected, right? She's doing her thing? Yeah, so, well, yeah, well, we moved her. So when we found her, she was undernourished underweight like Mm. just not looking great and so we moved her to the uh, per the galapagos national parks we moved her to um the fausto lorena breeding facility on isla santa cruz so a different island where lonesome george once lived um and uh and yeah so she's there still as far as i know still healthy and happy um you know we had a falling out with the galapagos parks which was really unfortunate um which yeah, it's just too bad that that shook the shook out the way it did. But uh, they've gone back twice since to look for another specimen to try and breed them, and been been unsuccessful. So um, unfortunately, it's not looking too promising for the fate of that species. Hmm. If you could see one extinct animal in real life, what would it be? Uh, the thylacine, for sure. <laughs> There's well, I mean, if you could say any extinct animal, it's any. hard to say, but. Uh, Okay, uh, ichthyosaur. Really? 
Yeah. I would love to see. I like I like those large marine mammals or large marine dinosaurs. People get upset when you call them dinosaurs. Large marine reptiles, whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah, no, uh, I think an ichthyosaur for me. What about you? I think uh, I think a T Rex. I mean, but that's pretty stereotypical, right? Someone would do that. Or you know what? I think a dodo or a thylacine would be pretty cool. I think a dodo would be pretty interesting. Well, with the work we're doing with Colossal, it's all coming back. So there, those are all on the list. You know, we've got Mammoth, we've got Dodo, and we've got Thylacine all being bred back into existence in our lifetime. So you're uh, you're in luck. <laughs> in Dodo? Really? I, I heard about the Mammoth, yeah. but really? Yeah, yeah. Just look it up. We've uh doing, you know, we're using Nicobar pigeons to do... Uh, uh, somatic cellular, tra- or no, not somatic cellular transfer, because that's impossible in birds. Uh, uh, what is it? PCGs. Um, yeah, no, look it up. It's really interesting. The the work. I'm I'm not a geneticist, so forgive me if I'm misquoting stuff. But you know, I, I work on the conservation advisory board for Colossal, and uh, yeah, we've got all three of those species coming back. <laughs> that is awesome, man. That's great. I want to ask you, what was your? Because you've done a lot of media in your day talking about wildlife talking about conservation one uh experience i wanted to talk to you about was being on the joe rogan podcast how was that for us yeah it's good joe's joe's a good guy we're friends you know we text back and forth and uh Hmm. i've done his show three times now i took him to meet some wolves which was fun he enjoyed that and uh you know he's a really good guy it's just it's no different to being on your podcast right now he's a fun guy to hang out with he's easy to chat with and, uh, you know, he's very uh, well-informed and interested in lots of subject matter. And, uh, yeah, he's just really just an easy guy to chat with. It's no different to you or I having a chat like this. Yeah. You weren't nervous, though, because this guy's like, I want to compare him to the modern-day Oprah. And I'm not talking about nervous talking to <laughs> Joe, but the, I guess, the 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 reach that that podcast has. I mean, were you just, or was it just like any other interview? You're like, oh, let's go for it and have fun. Yeah, so the first time that he reached out to me, uh, I had never listened to his podcast. I'd heard the name before, because who hadn't? But, yeah. um, you know, this was like probably four years ago now. The first time he messaged me, I'd never listened to his podcast. I didn't know anything about it. And honestly, I wasn't a podcast guy. I'm a little bit more of one now, but I just, I like, I don't think I'd ever even listened to a podcast at that point in time. So I didn't get it at all. Mm. And so he invited me on the show and I was like, I, I even sort of like dicked him around a little bit. I was like, oh, sorry, man, I don't have time, you know, maybe in June or whatever. And then he, he pinged me again and I was like, yeah, all right, I'm free that day. Like, I'll come down. You know, like I, I wasn't so like motivated to do it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I just drove down and then I got there and I was like, whoa, this is like a sick studio. And I met him and I was like, wow, you're a cool guy. Like, you're really fun to hang out with. And then we just did the show. And and it wasn't until after I had recorded the show. And I I think I was sitting with a couple of the guys I play rugby with. And they were like, hey, why weren't you at practice last night? And I was like, oh, I did actually go to L.A. to do this, like, talk show thing. And they're like, what is it? I was like, it's called Joe Rogan Show. And they were like, are you fucking kidding me? And I was like, wait, what? And they're like, that's like the biggest show in the world. That's like the I listen to every Joe Rogan. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is like a thing. And then I found out like how massive it was. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But honestly, at that point, I'd already met him. We were already friends. I'd already done the show. So I didn't have the ability to like get nervous going into it because I didn't know anything about it before I did it the first time. What do you do? Just reach out to you on Instagram? Yep. That's exactly what he did. That is so funny. That's awesome, man. Well, congrats on that. The amount of, uh, like, I don't know how many of their names I should say, but A-list celebrities that have messaged me on Instagram is unbelievable. Like, you know, just guys and gals who will just be like, hey, I, my kid loves your show, or hey, you know, I, I, I read your book, or and I don't think I ever read my book, but like, hey, I saw your book and like read up on you. And uh, it's just crazy, man. Like, so many A-list celebrities are interested in wildlife and conservation have hit me up just to chat with them about it which is pretty cool because i had no idea you know that it that those kind of people were interested in that stuff so yeah it's pretty pretty rad that's awesome and it's so cool that you're able to do that through instagram you don't have to go through all the red tape you know what i mean through i don't know an agent publicist production company whatever i can only imagine how many i've missed because i i i'll tell you right now i have 
see if it even shows me. I mean, I would guess in the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of unread messages. So, oh yeah, yeah, I don't. It doesn't actually show you, but I mean, it scroll for days. Yeah, no, I'm sure I've missed dozens of very important messages. But you, you know, I mean, you've got a much larger social media following than I do. Like, it's impossible to keep up with that stuff. Like, you can't read every message. You go no, nuts. I literally. Um... Yeah, I don't even. Uh, I'm just sorry. My mind just because like TikTok offered this new thing where now anyone can send you a message, and I haven't even clicked the button that said like how many you know because we're at um, we're at uh, three point something million on TikTok, and I'm just like I every okay. day it's like blah, 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 messages, and I'm just like I can't. I I, I honestly don't yeah. look at them. I, I literally can't. Oh, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah, I I don't. I, I'm the same. I and I don't know where people find the time. I mean, I don't hire people to do my social media. Uh, that's not true. I have people that do video editing and stuff like that, but not like, you know, logged onto my accounts. Mm -hmm. I don't even like, I don't know how people go through that. And, and a lot of people do it's, it's impressive, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally disconnected from it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we're almost at an hour for us. Can I steal a couple more minutes of your time for the after show? Yeah, buddy, whatever you like. Okay. I'm all yours. Okay, sounds good. Now, where, if people aren't following you, where can they find you? You're on all the social media platforms. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Yeah, whatever you pick your poison. You know, I don't, I don't check them as much <laughs> as I should. But Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok, all those things. We have our podcast, the Wild Times Podcast. I'm on, I'm on your TV a lot. That's for sure. If you ch if you put Discovery Channel or Animal Planet on, you'll probably see me at some point. We got two new Shark Week shows coming out this year, which are going to be a blast. They're really, really fun. Uh, one of them in particular, I'm incredibly excited for people to see all new science, all new research, all new, all new close calls with sharks, and uh, yeah, really fun stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not hard to find. That's awesome for us. Thank you so much. And audience, if you want to listen to the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. But with that said, let's go to the after show. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.